Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. Uh, at this time, kids, you are dismissed from JK to grade 5, so you can head downstairs with your teachers for your program uh, downstairs, and we'll be praying for you as you hear from God's Word, uh, and they make much of Christ. Uh, it is a joy to have you kids in here with us as well as we sing and worship our God. Uh, and what a joy it is to be able to worship our God together this morning, uh, assembled together as His church to uh, praise His name like we just heard in family worship, right? We were made to glorify our God together, and it is a joy to be able to do that with you this morning. Uh, my name is Pastor Matt, and uh, this morning we're going to be in John chapter 7, starting in verse 25, and going all the way to the end of chapter 7. We'll be continuing our series in the Gospel of John together. Uh, and as you turn there, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, God, may we stand in awe of you, God, in your holiness, your majesty as Lord and King. God, and may you just uh, pour your power out on us as we spend time in your word this morning. God, your word is truth, and may we see it rightly as that, God. Lord, grant us a hunger for your word and for your truth. Lord, guide us in wisdom and in understanding that we would know the meaning of this text and how it points us to Christ. Lord, increase our love for you and for one another, and help us to apply this passage to our lives today, that we would be challenged, that we'd be changed by your word through the working of your Spirit that we'd be obedient followers of Christ, God, that we'd be disciples who make disciples of Jesus Christ. And Lord, help me to preach your word with both boldness and gentleness, God, that you will be center, that you'll be glorified as you continue to save and sanctify your people. And I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Uh, throughout the Gospels, Jesus has this great way of... Um, showing stories and applying things to our lives with imagery uh, and with means that make sense to us. And in this passage, uh, there'll be a line where he talks about those who are thirsty. Uh, and I know we've all experienced that before, whether uh, it's just been a really hot day. We've had a pretty hot summer. Uh, we have felt thirsty before. I remember uh, being at school. I was a pretty active kid. Uh, my favorite class was gym. Um, it was it was just nice to run around and get that energy out. I was pretty energetic. Uh, but always after gym class, there would always be a rush for the water fountain. Uh, there'd be a big line, and you'd be waiting your turn. You'd be gross, and you'd be sweaty, and you, all you needed was a drink to be satisfied, to feel good again, because you'd been running like crazy. The, the problem was is that there was always a teacher or someone in authority there that would do the, the countdown, I don't know if you guys know, they go like one, two, three. It's literally, it's not even three seconds. It's faster than three seconds. And then you have to move along because there's someone else who's coming to get a drink. And I always hated that moment because you never got enough water to actually satisfy yourself. You got a little bit, you got a taste of that satisfaction, but it never quite satisfied you. And then you'd want to ask later, can I go and get a drink when you're not supposed to because you're in class and you should be studying. But I remember those moments, those moments of not being satisfied, getting a little taste of something, but not being satisfied. And what we see here as we look through John 7 is Jesus is talking to these people who 
there's kind of two different people. We see those who think they're satisfied. They're satisfied in following the law. These are the religious leaders, and they've done everything that they think they can to be made right, to know God and be satisfied in what they are doing. And then there's those who are probably weary of following all these laws, of waiting for the Messiah to come to redeem them, of looking for freedom and hope and joy, and they are thirsting to be satisfied. And it begs us to question ourselves is, even when we come to church, are we coming already satisfied? Are we coming already satisfied in the things that we've done in the week? Are we already satisfied in the fact that we've just maybe grown up in a Christian home, and the fact that we just come to church? And that's all that we need to kind of get our fill of Christ and God. There might even be some of us who are coming here very weary through the week. There's been hardships, and we've been struggling to try and find satisfaction in this world, whether that's in our job and in success and finding money, whether it's in relationships uh, and our our social uh, gatherings and things like that. And it's wearisome because we get a taste of some kind of satisfaction. We get this taste of joy and blessing that God has blessed us in this world, but they're to point to Him, to point to the provider of those blessings. The one who can, we can truly find satisfaction in. And so it begs us the question, what do we look to for our satisfaction? Do we really know Jesus, the provider and satisfier of our souls? So let us turn to John 7 as we read from this together. John 7 says, Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from, and when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, You know me, and you know where I come from? But I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him, because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, he will, do more, will he do more signs than this man has done? The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priests and the Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Jesus then said, I'll be with you a little longer, and then I'm going to him who sent me. You'll seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, You will seek me and you will not find me, and where I am you cannot come? On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. And when they heard these words, some of the people said, This really is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the Scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? 
So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, Why did you not bring him? The officers answered, No one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, Have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities of the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before, and who was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. And this is the word of the Lord. So the first section that we heard from in uh, chapter 7 that Pastor Nate covered last week pointed to Jesus doing God's will and seeking to bring glory to God. That was Jesus' purpose. That's what he came to do. And this continuation is focusing more so on who Jesus is, that he is in fact God and therefore knows him and will go to him, alluding to his coming death on the cross, resurrection, and ascension into glory. He then calls people to believe and receive satisfaction for their thirst. See, there's this uncertainty amongst the people, as we see in verse 25. Uh, They ask, is this the man whom they seek to kill? Is this the Christ? Is he really the one that people are seeking to kill? Although, just previously, Jesus was accused of having a demon because he suggested that people were trying to seek to kill him. And it might have just been the, the people's own ignorance or just actual doubt that, there was, uh, that someone was trying to kill Jesus, but there did seem to be this known reality that people didn't like what Jesus was saying, and they were trying to kill him. But what is surprising is Jesus' boldness in speaking publicly. Knowing of those death threats, we see Jesus beginning to be more bold and open about who he really is, making sure the people know who he is and what he has come to do. And what's interesting, right, is when, when boldness threatens the messenger's safety, the message that they have to say seems to be a little bit more reliable and true. And it begs the question, I, I even think of it myself, as when I am faced with threats or um, some kind of attempt, even I've never heard, gotten a life threat before, Usually I'm worrying about less threatening things when it comes to sharing Christ. But would I be bold enough if someone threatened my life to still proclaim Christ? To still bring glory to God through pointing them to Jesus? Because normally, I mean, when I was in high school, I worried more about what people thought of me than... I never got death threats. But I worried about my own social status. I worried about my popularity. I worried about just looking weird. People thought it was weird anyway, so it really shouldn't have mattered all that much. (laughs) But even for us, it's it's a good reminder. The boldness that we show, people will see that. People see God working in through our boldness, especially when there's something that we have to lose. And so Jesus spoke with this boldness, and the people saw that the authorities were not doing anything about it. No one was arresting Jesus. No one was taking them in. They questioned if the higher authorities maybe had come to the conclusion that Jesus is the Christ. 
And it's always good to understand the context and audience that we find ourselves in. As Pastor Nate said last week, the Jews were gathering together to celebrate the Feast of Booths, a time of remembering God's provision and presence with His people. Of how He was with them in the wilderness when they wandered for 40 years. How He was still with them and still provided for them. And so Jesus is talking to the Jewish people at the feast in this temple. So the Jews have just been celebrating their relationship with God, how they were close to God, how they knew God, and how God was providing for them. And we'll see a lot of irony play out in this passage as they don't seem to make the connections between what Jesus is saying and the things that they were just celebrating. And so they question, can Jesus be the Christ or not? But as quickly as that thought comes, it is dismissed once again with yet another claim against Jesus' origin. They say, we know where this man has come from. And so Jesus responds with this very direct irony to the Jewish people. You know me and you know where I am from? Right? They should know him. They should recognize him. If they truly knew God like they were celebrating... But Jesus is not talking about his earthly origin, but his heavenly one. He was sent by the Father. What Jesus said would have been incredibly offensive to these people. The people who prided themselves on knowing God, of being God's chosen people. Of working through the law and obeying God. Of celebrating all these different feasts and the things that God has commanded them. But Jesus knows the one who sent him, for he came from him. There's a lot of this term Christ, Christology, which is talking about the person of Christ, who Jesus is. It's a theological word, and we see a lot of this playing out in this passage. Jesus, the word who was there in the beginning, as we've read in uh, John 1.1, 1, 1, weeks back, months back actually. But it points us to the very beginning of his gospel. Jesus was there in the beginning. He was with God and he was God. Through whom all things were made for and whom without not anything would be made. And here he is standing before them saying, I know God for I was there before the beginning of time. And I've been sent to earth to do my Father's will and to bring him glory and to show how all these things that you've been looking to you, all the scriptures you've been reading, they've been all pointing to me. Here I am. He asks the question, how can you go know God if you don't know me? How can you know God if you don't know Jesus? What do you believe is true about Jesus? Do you believe he is God? Do you believe he is the son of God? Do you believe he came to earth? Do you believe that he lived a perfect, sinless life? Do you believe that he died on the cross for our sins? He bore the wrath that God had towards our sins upon himself. And he rose again. Do you believe these things about Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Do you know his heart for you? Because the reality is, and Jesus is saying, if you reject me, you're rejecting God. If you reject me as Lord and Savior, if you do not believe in me, if you're not resting in me to be made right before God, then you don't know God as your Heavenly Father. 
And we see this throughout John. This is a theme throughout John. In John 5, verse 23, whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. In John 5, 42 to 43, I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. This truth stings. This hits hard. It'll hit hard to the Jews. It'll hit hard to us. Because if we do not love Jesus, if we do not know Jesus, how can we stand here and say, I know God. I'm right before God. I've done enough to make God pleased with me. Do you know and love Jesus? Because what, what do you really rest in for truly knowing God? The fact that you maybe grew up in a Christian home, that you've heard all the Bible stories that you could name them all off? Is it the fact that you go to church every week? That you give to the church? That you pray? That you read your Bible every day? All these good things, don't, don't get me wrong. But are you looking to Christ for your righteousness? Are you looking to Christ for your salvation? Are you looking to Christ for the one who actually did the work that you could not do because of our sinfulness, our brokenness? We cannot make ourselves right before God. The things that we do to Him are like offering Him dirt. They're nothing to the God who made everything and whom everything was made for. We look to Christ, who is the exact imprint of God. He's the radiance of the glory of God, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. This is who Jesus is. This is who Jesus is saying he is. And yet the Jews are not seeing it. When the people are faced with the reality of Christ, the revelation of God, it divides people. Because people don't like to hear that truth. People don't like to hear the truth that you're not good enough to make yourself right before God. People don't like to hear the truth that what you're doing right now, all these laws that you're trying to follow, all these things that you're doing, you need to do better because you need to be perfect if you want to be right before God. And so you see this divide. You see these people faced with the reality of their brokenness. And there's a hesitation on both sides of what to do with Jesus, whether to believe in him or to arrest him. And so no one does anything. And we see it's because in verse 30, Jesus' hour had not yet come. It points to God's sovereignty and perfect timing. And things will continue to play out until Jesus' time comes to die on the cross. But now is not yet the time. And so the Pharisees, in hearing that some of the crowd actually may be siding with Jesus, they attempt to arrest him by sending officers of the temple. And so note that these officers, they weren't like the hard, rugged thugs that come and take someone away. They, are, they were Levites who were religiously trained. They were temple guards who more just kind of maintained order in the temple. So they knew the scripture. They knew the things that Jesus was pointing to, the things that he was teaching upon, although they didn't see clearly what he actually meant by the things. But Jesus continues to teach and proclaim 
almost in response to the fact that the Pharisees were trying to force their own agenda upon him, the fact that they were trying to arrest him. He says, I will be with you for a little longer, and then I'm going to the one, uh, to him who had sent me. You will seek me and not find me, because you cannot go where I am. See, the Father's will, it can't be thwarted, right? It was not Jesus' hour. The timing of Jesus' death will be perfect. No second earlier or later. Jesus is saying your plans are futile and God's will will reign. Christ is referring to the Father's ordained sovereign timing of his death. However, for Jesus, it's not the end, but his return to glory with the Father. He's going to be with the Father, seated at his right hand, lifted up to a point where others, apart from him, apart from belief in him, resting in him as the Lord and Savior, they could not go with him. The people, once again, confused and probably a little bit angry about what Jesus said. They just don't understand what Jesus is saying. Yet there's this connection to what he previously said to what he said now. Because if you don't know Jesus, you don't know God. For Jesus and God are one. And if you don't believe in Christ, if you don't follow Christ, you'll not be able to go where he's going. Jesus is the one and only way to the Father. And they're confused. How can we not follow him? If on earth, they could technically find him anywhere, although it may be far away. They thought perhaps to the dispersion of the Greeks, which is referring to the the Jews who were dispersed uh, outside of Palestine, who were scattered amongst the Greeks. Maybe he would go there and teach them but they could still find him. But it's humorous, in in fact, just this irony that continues to play out. The Jews who think they have Jesus figured out, the Jews who think they have God figured out, and yet they have no clue. For in fact, Jesus' message and teaching, the beautiful message of the gospel, will even be dispersed later on. Not just to the Greeks, but the whole world. And it's all pointing to him. And so as we continue on in verse 37 to 38, we see that on the last day of the feast, Jesus comes and he proclaims, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. This feast which focused on God's provision throughout the time in the wilderness, the feast that involved even water-pouring rituals during ceremonies to express their dependence upon God, the symbolizing of fertility and provision and growth, in which God had authority and command over, right? The rain that he poured out for fruitfulness of crops and harvest. And here Jesus is, as the people reflect upon God's previous provision, as they celebrate and are feasting and are thirsting, and perhaps even are still unsatisfied because when you eat a little, when you drink a little, you're going to have to eat and drink again. Perhaps they're still unsatisfied because the Messiah has not yet come because they're still under Roman rule. They're still waiting for this promised Messiah to come. And Jesus calls out that great truth. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Come to me, he says. 
here I am. Thirst no more, and out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. The Holy Spirit, which I will give to you when my time comes, and I die for your sins, and I rise from the dead, and I'm glorified to be with the Father. I will send the Spirit, which will help you, which will indwell in you, which will seal you for final redemption, which will renew and regenerate you to be a new creation, which will continue to sanctify you and gift you to do the work of God's will. I will send my helper to you. The one who gives wisdom and understanding of God, especially in his scripture, to see me, to rest in me, to trust in me. See, Jesus was fulfilling what the Feast of the Tabernacle or the Feast of Booths was celebrating. Fruitfulness and provision and life. The wanting and waiting of the feast that they celebrated still left in their hearts. Jesus comes and says, I will satisfy that completely. Some of you may have dehydrated souls. I know I've felt it in my life. I felt like I could be good enough. I felt like I could figure life out. If only I had a little bit more of this, if only I had a little bit more success, if I just knew a little bit more, if I had a bit more money, if I had more friends. Life is hard. Sometimes there's things we don't even have control over. Sickness, death of loved ones, hurt and pain, brokenness. Our souls are dehydrated. And the soul needs God like the body needs water. It is life to the soul. As pastors, we don't tell you to read your Bible and pray and you know, sing songs together and worship and assemble together as a church just because of obligation. It's because it's God's Word spoken and read and prayed and sung and it points you to Christ. It points you to the well that is endless. It continues to pour out its water for your soul. It's a free gift that he says, come to me and drink and continue to drink and continue to drink because I'm eternal, I'm endless. And out of your own heart will flow these streams of living water as the Spirit continues to work in you. The water in this world will often flow and then dry up. But with Christ, the water never stops flowing. With Christ, the water continues to flow. And we see Jesus has pointed people to come to him. And we see this in previous scriptures in the Old Testament. In Isaiah 55:1, it says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come by wine and milk without money and without price. Jesus says, anyone who thirsts, anyone who thirsts, come to me and drink. It's a foreshadowing even forward in Revelation 22.1 when John reflects on the angel showing him the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Or it even makes me think of Jesus, when he talks to the woman at the well in John 4, everyone who drinks of this water from the well that they were at will be thirsty again. Whatever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. 
The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. This is what our soul is desiring, and yet we try to fill it with all these idols in our world. Come to Jesus. Come to the one who is calling you to himself. Come to the one whose well does not dry up. Come to the one who lived a perfect life, who died on the cross for your sins, who bore God's wrath upon himself, who died on the cross and rose again, offering us new life and gifting us with his Holy Spirit. That we would be made new. That we would be satisfied in him and that we'd bring glory to God. So Jesus says these words, and when people heard these words, continuing in verse 40, some of the people said, this is really the prophet. And others said, this is the Christ. There's still confusion surrounding Jesus' identity. Was he, was he the prophet that was promised? The imagery of providing water could easily have pointed the people back to think of Moses when he was in the wilderness, striking the rock and providing water for the people. Others thought him as the promised Messiah, the Christ, and yet continued to question, continued to still not believe, continued to not, still not receive that invitation that he was giving them. Just come to me. They're still trying to figure him out. They questioned because of the lack of his Davidic ancestry, that he wasn't so-called born in Bethlehem. Or so they thought. Of course, some of the Jews didn't see this, at least not yet, as they reflected upon the prophecies of the coming Messiah being born in Bethlehem, whereas they thought Jesus came from Galilee. And as we heard later on, nothing good comes from Galilee. They don't see the fuller picture, because we know, in fact, that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Right? That prophecy was fulfilled. He was born to the Virgin Mary, conceived by the Holy Spirit, which we remember and celebrate during Christmas. Jesus fulfilled that prophecy. He was from the line of David. He was born in Bethlehem. And he was the promised Messiah to come. As we see that fuller picture now, we do see that all this has come to fulfillment in the one God-man, Jesus Christ, the Son of God our King who suffered and died on the cross in our place, for our sins, who rose again, who was glorified and is now at the right hand of the Father. This is the one who we rest in. This is the one who we can come to. And so you see that Jesus actually doesn't get arrested, right? We heard that the Pharisees had sent officers to come and get Jesus, and yet they don't lay hands on him. They end up going back. They go back to the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, fair enough, question them. Why didn't you bring him? Recall that these officers were most commonly Levites, religiously trained temple guards. And their answer is, no one has spoken like this man before. No one has taught like this man before. No one has understood Scripture and taught Scripture like this man. And these people knew Scripture They were trained in it, trained in the law and knowledge of God. They were astounded by this seemingly nobody from Galilee. 
their own minds and hearts being broken down by Jesus' bold statements and claims, by Jesus' truth that he's pointing to himself, by Jesus' invitation to anyone who come, who was thirsty to come to him. It left them disoriented and just as divided as the people who were listening in the crowd. The Pharisees, still prideful in their way and knowledge of the law, accused the officers not of neglecting to listen to them and arrest Jesus, but questioning whether they were actually deceived. Are they so dumb to not see that Jesus is this imposter? To see that what Jesus is saying doesn't make sense. But it was their own pride that blinded them from seeing the truth of who Jesus was. They were educated in the law. They should at least have held better than the crowd that doesn't know the law at all. Those who, these people, the Pharisees who were trying to continue to live out the law as perfectly as they could were just left with this reality of they still aren't good enough to fulfill the law. And those Jews who were continuing to try to follow the law and yet continued to see their imperfection were thirsting for some way of being made right before God. How long are they going to have to continue to do all of these practices and sacrifices and celebrations and feasts of what God is calling them to? All these things in the law. And yet it's all fulfilled in Christ. We see this division happening. Jesus' truth and the reality of Christ, like I said, when it comes to people, it divides people. Because there are those who will receive it with joy and gratitude and belief, and there are those who will be hardened and rejected. And we see Nicodemus, who you might recognize from previously in John, who talked to Jesus about being born again and what that means. He speaks up. He was a highly recognized teacher of Israel. However, even instead of listening to their own, and to his reasoning, the Pharisees instead respond with contempt and anger. Do you also come from Galilee? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. We see the irony of this whole situation. As Jesus continues to proclaim the truths of God, the wise and the proud will be fools. They'll be last. And those who are uneducated, those who are humbled, those who are broken by the truth that Jesus sets before them will be made wise, will come first. And so the Pharisees, in their boasting of their wisdom, they make themselves more foolish than ever. I think it's a warning to us as well of our pride getting in the way, of our reality thinking that we know God because of what we've done and the study that we've done and how well we know Scripture, and how well we follow His law. I pray that the pride does not take us over. I pray that we humble ourselves as we see that Jesus is the one and only true way to God, to truly know God as our Heavenly Father, as we rest in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Like I said before, Jesus was really addressing two people. Those who are thirsty, those who are tired of trying to make themselves right day in, day out, trying to follow the law perfectly, knowing that they can't, who are weary and thirsty to be satisfied 
And then there were those who thought that they were already satisfied. There were those who were so blinded that they couldn't even see God in front of them. The one who they were celebrating, the one who they have been learning their whole life. Some thought they found it, but actually haven't. And they were resting more on their own works than on the works of Christ. And so I extend that question to you. Are you thirsty? Are you weary of the life that this world tries to get us to live? Of the day in and day out struggle of trying to make a name for ourselves? Of trying to be satisfied in the things and the blessings that God has offered us, but making those things higher than Him? Of success at work, of getting more money, of getting that next promotion. Of being accepted by those around us. Of having more friends. Is it the satisfaction of having things go our way? Of doing the things that we want to do? Of just having a good time? Of just living out our life the way that we want it? Are you already satisfied with the things of the world? Are you satisfied in Christ? The one who is enough. The one who says, come to me and drink. Anyone who thirsts. Anyone. Is your soul thirsty? Are you thirsty trying to battle and satisfy your life? Fighting the addictions of this world, trying to find comfortability, financial stability, trying to meet your goals and dreams, trying to reach that social status that you want. It just continues to leave us dry and longing all the more to be satisfied. And it's just an endless cycle of emptiness and thirst. Come to Christ. Come and drink. And if you find that you seem to already be satisfied in these things of the world. God has put this thirst in your soul not to be satisfied in those things, but to be satisfied in Him, to draw you to Him, to come to Him. It is only fully and forever satisfied in Jesus. So come to Him and drink and live and glorify our God by resting in Christ, the living water, the one who died in our place for our sins, that we would be forgiven, that we would live with God and know him truly as our heavenly father. Let us pray. Heavenly Father God, I pray that we just come to you in humility. God, the pride of the Pharisees left them blind to seeing Christ who was right in front of them. God, the living water who says, come to me and drink. And yet our pride blinds us from seeing that Christ is enough. From seeing that we cannot make our way to you on our own. That we need to rest in Christ. 
that we can be fully satisfied in him. And God, I pray as a church that we would be fully satisfied with him. God, that the longing and desire in our souls would point us to Jesus. God, that we wouldn't be resting on these other things in the world. God, that we'd be grateful to you for these amazing blessings of family, God, of shelter, God, even of this church and the things that are happening in this church. God, you have blessed us greatly, but may that not put a curtain in front of you. God, may we continue to be centered on glorifying your name as we rest in Christ, the satisfier of our souls. That as we know Christ, we will know you. God, may we not be resting on our own works. For God, we know that we are nothing. God, in the things that we do, are empty bags to you, dirty rags. And so, God, may we rest in Christ, the one who cleanses our hearts, the one who forgives us, the one who glorifies us in the light of his own glory. God, what a joy it is to know Christ as our Lord and Savior. And so we, may we continue to worship and honor you, God, as we sing together. God, and as we leave from here, May your spirit go with us. God, may we be springs that show that you will satisfy the longing in the souls of those in this world who are still lost, who are still looking, who are still trying to figure out how to satisfy themselves. God, may it be found in you. In Jesus' name, amen.